welcome to episode nine of the request 2021 podcast and at the time of broadcast um, we now have 544 days left until we sail from south america um if you are listening to this at the beginning of july 2020 um then you may also be interested to know that we have a a polar book auction uh on ebay at the moment to raise funds for the expedition and uh, all you need to do is go to ebay and search for the hashtag uh, request 2021 and you'll find uh, some wonderful polar books that we've had kindly donated uh, for raising funds for request 2021 um, and the youth members of the team are currently also completing their discovery course um, for their scouts of the world award and uh, they're they're doing that with a view to maybe using their antarctic research projects uh, to gain the award um, so that they can make their project sustainable and uh, uh, help with the the future of um, the the work that we do on the project uh, um, helping it helping out um, young people and inspiring others uh, in the future so um, this episode episode nine uh, we have a short extract from the book cold um, which is about the Bark Europa um, when they went sailing with whales. Um, we have another clip from uh, my Medway Towns presentation to the SAS um, and this time it's focusing on what happened to Mar and Mooney after the quest expedition um, and that includes James Mar's participation in Operation Tabarin during World War II. And then finally, we've got our request interview for this month uh, with another of our Kent participants. That's Matt Wood from Morling. So lots in store uh, and we'll kick off with uh, the extract from the book Cold. I'm going to share with you a little extract from the book Cold which is all about the Bark Europa. It's a beautiful book with some wonderful photographs. But this is an extract from the captain's log, the daily log that he keeps uh, on board. And this is uh, an entry for a Friday morning, March the 9th, 8am ship's time, anchored in Nico Harbour, positioned 64 degrees, 50 minutes south, 62 degrees, 33 minutes west. Today, we visit the mainland of Antarctica, surrounded by the high and steep mountains of Andvard Bay. We feel small and vulnerable. For the last couple of days, we've enjoyed the beautiful landscapes in the soft and sublime light which is only possible at these high latitudes. However, this softness only applies to the light. Temperatures are around zero Celsius, but the strong winds give it a high chill factor and it feels bloody cold. Unfortunately, the wind is coming from the southwest, which is also our tracking direction for the next few days. 
My sailor's blood is tickling, and I want to go for a fine reach to the northeast, but I will have to wait another day before that will be possible. Hopefully, the gods of the wind won't be angry with us and will blow some favourable winds. We have also had our calm moments. Wednesday, for instance, we had a memorable drifting session for one and a half hours with four humpback whales. No wind, no waves and clear water. All the ingredients ready for a nice whale show. They were really into it, showing us all their tricks, waving with their flukes, heads and their huge flippers and swimming upside down alongside the ship. A day to remember for all of us. Even when we tried to sneak away on one engine, they followed us. They were glad to see that the Europa wasn't stationary and could also move through the water. They happily followed us for another 15 minutes to make sure that we were all right. They were probably waiting for the Europa to make a dive into the deep, like all healthy whales do regularly. However, we decided to keep the Europa afloat and leave the three-dimensional diving to the whales. So as I said, that was an extract from the book Cold uh, about the Bark Europa. I'm very privileged to own a copy of that book. Uh, I believe it's out of print now, very hard to get hold of. Um, and next up, uh, we've got another clip from my presentation to Medway Towns SAS. Um, and this is all about what happened to Mar and Mooney after the Quest expedition. So here's James Marr, who was given a flag by Baden-Powell to present to the scouts of Tristan de Kuna. So when they visited the island of Tristan de Kuna, which is a very remote island, there was a scout troop there, um, and uh, scouts all over the world. And uh, James Marr had the privilege of, of handing over a flag that had been given to him by the chief scout to present to the scouts of Tristan de Kuna. So he's doing his scout duties there. Uh, here's Mara again, you can just see him there. Um, I think this is where they've gone, they've gone ashore in search of fresh food, I think it says. So, uh, lots of memorabilia and commemoration. Um, so here you can see, look, there's that uh, story again of Young Britain, but it's now on a South Georgia stamp. Um, and you can see Mara and Shackleton and, uh, and Mooney there. There's the quest. So there's uh, a lot of stamps that were produced in, in, um, uh, as a mem memory of the actual expedition. Um, here's some more. He even had his own cigarette card. Um, <laughs> a lot of poetic license there. He's certainly looking a lot younger than a 19-year-old at that point. Um, so uh, clearly it was just an artist's impression. Um, but uh, I do actually own a copy of the cigarette card, which is extremely hard to get. Um, so again, if you want to see that, that's over there. Some years later, here's Ma, I think this is 1938, still inspiring scouts about his expedition. So he, he really did become a bit of a celebrity. So he's come back from uh, this trip with Shackleton, uh, 
and he'd, he'd obviously got a love for Antarctica, as you'll find out. So what happened to our two scouts when they got back from the quest expedition? Well, Mooney's story, very little known about Mooney. Um, I've had the privilege um, of actually talking to his son. Um, so his son's still alive, um, and I've been in contact with him. Um, and we've pieced together basically what happened to Mooney after the quest expedition. Uh, he did get married. Um, and did have a child, obviously, because I met his son. Um, and <laughs> logic. <laughs> um, and uh, basically, um, he went out to work in Nigeria. So he did travel again, um, but sadly, he died in a mining accident while he was out in Nigeria, and he died up until he was age 40. Um, so, yeah, he was 40 years old. He's buried uh, at Kirkwall, uh, just um, for those of you that know, know the Orkney Isles, um, this is uh, you know, um, the, the cemetery there just near uh, Scapa Flow. Okay. However, we know a lot about James Marr. So James Marr, when he got back from the Quest Expedition, he finished his studies um, and he uh, finished off uh, he was doing the classics, he was doing Greek and things like that, but he was so inspired by what happened in Antarctica that he came back, finished doing the classics, and then went on to do a BSc in zoology um, and marine zoology. Um, various uh, sort of awards that he got, um, so he uh, got an award here in 1949, Principal Scientific Officer for the Royal Navy Scientific Ser um, Service, um, he got a back grant from the Royal Geographic Society. He got involved in the discovery expeditions that went out in 1925. And then we get to the Second World War. Now, this is the book I'm reading at the moment, Operation Tabarin. During the Second World War, um, there was a secret uh, government UK mission went down to Antarctica. And James Marr led that mission. So our scout, after going with Shackleton, went back to Antarctica <coughs> and he actually, and this is when he set up Port Lockroy, um, so the Port Lockroy base, uh, which is the main base in Antarctica. Um, it's where the post office is, if you've ever seen anything about that in Antarctica, we can get you postcards and, and so on. <coughs> that uh, operation, Operation Tabarin, went on to become what we know today as the British Antarctic Survey. So basically our scout um, was heavily involved in the formation of what became the British Antarctic Survey and still very important today. He got the Polar Medal uh, in 1941, uh, that was the class of the Polar Medal, and he got the Silver Polar Medal in 1954 for the work that he did in Antarctica. He was quite an academic and uh, he, I've got a copy of this, um, it's about that thick and it is the definitive guide to Antarctic krill. So it's pages and pages and pages of, of research about Antarctic krill. And he published that in 1962. Um, and he passed away in 1965. Just this week, so seven years after I started this adventure, uh, I finally managed to track down his son. And his son and I had a conversation this morning. So I've just started speaking to James Marr's son, which I feel absolutely privileged that he's, you know, um, because I, you know, I respect that he's, he, this is a private individual and he may not want to be approached. 
um, but he's been very warm and very helpful and he's invited me to go and see some, some of James Marr's memorabilia that he's got, etc. his father's stuff, um, and introduced me to a number of members of the family as well, so it's, it's quite exciting. Um, so I'm, I'm finding out more about this as I go on this journey. So we've got a few more extracts from that presentation uh, in future podcasts, so look out for those. Um, and now we've got our uh, Request 2021 interview with Matt Wood, uh, one of the uh, leaders over 25 uh, from Kent, uh, Morling in Kent. So we'll kick off with Resume, which is, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, so I'm Matt. I'm one of the leaders who is going to Antarctica on the Request 2021 uh, trip, which is going to be awesome. Um, I've been involved in the Scout movement for a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, I was never a beaver. There weren't beavers close to where I lived at the time, so uh, I started off as a cub. Okay. So joined at eight years old then, yeah. Joined at eight years old, yeah. So um, that was at Sixth Farnham, uh -huh. um, which I think is still there. Not really sure. <laughs> Farnham, sorry. Yeah. Um, and then I was a scout uh, at Fifth Farnham and then um, became an explorer. I was one of the first explorers when explorers became a thing. So I turned 14. Hey, right. Explorers started so oh literally the right then. age at the right time for it so that would have been 2002 two. uh yeah 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 and then i did um network after that okay um, at home and then after after uni i moved to essex and joined the network there yeah and then um when i turned 26 they said no you can't you can't be network <laughs> anymore ah you, you better be a leader now. <laughs> that's how they that's got. I, that's how they got my you. Leadership journey. Uh huh. So, how long have you been a leader, Matt? So I, oh, that's a good question. I think I had about a year in between, year or two in between, leaving network and starting as a leader. Right. So I was I was a explorer leader in Essex for a couple of years. Yeah. And now I've been an explorer leader in Kent. Since I moved here, uh -huh. much. so that's about four years. Okay. Uh, maybe four already. Blimey. It could be, yeah. Uh, and then, and that's so that's Morling District now, isn't it? Yeah. So that's Morling District. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've recently taken on the role of being District Network Commissioner as well. Okay. Morning, uh, which is a good challenge. Great, great. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I've been in scouting for a long time and what um, do you what do you do with your the rest of your time when you're not scouting so i work um in power stations that's something i've always done i'm an engineer right um uh, so i studied um, mechanical engineering at university uh-huh and then went straight into um big old coal-fired power stations right uh, which is why i moved to essex yeah and uh and Gradually, over the last sort of nine years, um, power stations have been, or coal power stations have been closing down as the, the uh -huh. country's moving forwards on its uh, 
carbon reduction yeah. uh, in terms of electricity generation, which is a really positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't all didn't always feel like that when uh, the, the sites were closing; lots of people were being put out of jobs. But um, right, you know, for the country as a whole, it's it's, it's a good thing. And um, long-term sort of prospects. Yeah. Majority of people who who did lose jobs but quickly found jobs elsewhere as well. Who who wanted to do something. so? What so brought good. what brought you to Kent then? Was it Dungeness or was it? Yeah, so yeah. I I sort of saw the writing on the wall with coal uh-huh. burning as being not not a very um, having a long term future. Yeah. So I moved to Kent to to work at Dungeness so yeah. nuclear power station. Uh huh. Um. So now I've, I've got a job um, supporting a, a fleet of nuclear power stations around the country. Wow. So I've got a fair bit of travelling around. Norm- normally, I guess you're not doing normally. so much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so at the moment, I'm travelling from my kitchen to my spare room where the, <laughs> where the computer is. Yeah. Uh, and doing everything remotely. Okay. Yeah, normally, we, I spend a lot of time travelling around it's, the country. It's a different world for all of us at the moment. So yeah, uh, I normally yeah. I normally travel all over the place teaching people, but at the moment, it's all over the internet. So yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah, I, so and you, sort of you're married. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the married. Two, three years, two and a half mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, to to my wife Gemma. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, we've got a thirteen-month-old. Wow, which is <laughs> a fun challenge. Yeah, he's just at the wanting to walk but unable to walk. So <laughs> you need to hold his hands so he can walk, which is great. Until <laughs> two minutes later, when your back is thinking. This isn't so great. Because, of course, you, you became a father after applying for to go to Antarctica. <laughs> yes, I did. So, we, uh, yeah, Gemma was pregnant when I when I applied. And, uh, she, I nearly didn't apply. And, uh, oh, I'm so glad you did. Pushed me. She pushed me. Oh, good. So you, oh, good. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, so, right. It takes up most of my spare time at the moment. Yeah, I can imagine. So, um, right. So that's R for resume. E for earliest memory. So this could be either your earliest memory memory or your earliest scouting memory, whichever you want. Wow. So I've got. I hadn't thought about my earliest scouting memory until just now. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, I've got a real clear memory of. Um, a weekend camp. So mm. I, I don't know if this is before or after the other memory that I thought. So, so a cub camp. Yeah. In the local local cub field, and I've got a really clear memory of we set up. There was a big hill, uh-huh. and at the bottom of the hill, the, the ground sort of levelled out where we had all the rest of the camps, all the tents and fires in, and, and all that was at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. And one, one must have been Saturday to set up a uh, slip and slide, so a big cardboard sheet down the hill with a little hose at the top, very <laughs> liquid. <laughs> and uh, so that was great fun. And then Baloo decided to have a go <laughs> and uh, somewhat overshot the bottom of the slide oh, no. and carried on going a bit further <laughs> and uh, ended up... Um, <clears throat> In a wheelbarrow, so we, oh, <laughs> at the bottom no. of the slide, there was a log fire, <laughs> and next to it was a, was a wheelbarrow tipped over. Uh-huh. So we shot the end of the, the slide, yeah. went all the way across the field, and ended 
outside. Oh, brilliant. That's great. And that was on a scout, uh, that was on a sort of cub camp thing. I was on a cub camp, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, that's good. Okay. Now, uh, if you could go back in time and you could meet uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton, what would you want to ask him? What What would be the thing that you'd really want to ask him? So I think the interesting thing about Shackleton is not necessarily his ability to navigate or sail a boat, because I think lots of people can do that. I think the, the really interesting thing about Shackleton is how he led his team. Mm -hmm. I think he was a really good, positive leader of, of men, mm -hmm. as it was. So he would have led women equally as well if it was, uh, if it was now, but uh -huh. at that time women weren't seen as, I don't know, for whatever reason, didn't go on these, uh, these trips. But the, the thing that I would like to know yeah. is, was he scared? Ah. So particularly when he's stranded and he's proposing sailing hundreds of miles across the Southern Ocean in a boat that's not very big, Yeah. was he scared? That's quite and good. And if so, yeah. did he did he know that? Yeah, or did he hide it? did he hide it yeah is that leadership thing about maybe hiding it to yeah to not want to instill fear into his men exactly and yeah. if he hid it then blimey that's an impressive thing to do absolutely because it must be terrifying i would think so yeah yeah that's a good one yeah okay different angle right we move on to you so in our request uh, unbelievable truth. So something that might surprise us about you, something we might not expect. Something you wouldn't expect. <laughs> so I spent a summer when I was a student driving an ice cream van selling ice cream <laughs> to people. That's fantastic. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one, Matt. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go, then. Did you have a jingle? What jingle was it? Oh, it changed every time. There were about oh, no. Uh, went round in a loop, which was, yeah. <laughs> How did you end up doing that for a summer? There was an advert in the local paper. <laughs> so I rang the guy up and said, can I do it? Yeah. And it, did he train you up? or? Yeah, yeah. The, the machines are surprisingly difficult to, yeah. to use. Yeah, yeah. But in the end, you get you get to the level of being able to do four four or Wow. Cones at once. So it's like a Mr. Whippy machine thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. Okay. Right. Staying on the subject of food then. Uh, emergency ration. So what food will you want to take with you to Antarctica? So what will what will be your tasty treat or your food of uh, yeah, to take with you? So obviously I've seen these questions uh, previous to today. Uh -huh. so I was thinking about this. Yeah. And I was really struggling because I like most foods. Uh huh. And then one day, Gem came back from the supermarket and she said, "I've got a present for you." Okay. It's like, oh, okay, sounds good. I like yeah. presents. They're generally good things. <laughs> and uh, she answered this question without me even knowing. It was a bag of licorice all sorts. Oh, brilliant. So that has to be it, does it? That has to be it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
it's my it's my weakness. Oh yeah, I think I think you might have some people pinching them off you as well. So yeah, they're quite popular by some people. So yeah, good one. Right, so licorice all sorts are going with us. You'll be the the man to go to for licorice all sorts. Right, and something special. What item um quite may have meaning for you or whatever that you would want to take with you as well. This is another tricky one as well. So I've got a, um, I say I, we, we've got a little uh, soft toy. Have you seen the film Finding Nemo? Yeah. You have, everyone's seen Finding Nemo. Of course I have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've got a little Dory. Oh yeah, the the second film was her, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So she comes on, on our little adventures. So Dory's coming to Antarctica. Antarctica. That's cool. Hopefully she doesn't get lost. No, hopefully it won't be finding Dory. Yeah, no. Cool. Um, okay, and your thoughts about Antarctica. What What are your feelings about it? Why do you think it's such a special place? It's one of the last remaining um, wildernesses. Mm-hmm. And it's... I think that's got a certain appeal. I think one of the other appeals is that it's um, neutral sort of yeah. territory yeah. on Earth. So there's all sort there's treaties in place to mm-hmm. stop anyone claiming it as their own or mining it for minerals or mm. doing anything. So everything that's on Antarctica or being done on Antarctica is all done with international cooperation which mm. i think is fantastic. a great message for the rest of the world isn't it yeah it is yeah. a really good message and mm. i think the scientific community right generally does a lot of, with a lot of international cooperation yeah um which is completely outside of everything else that's going on politically or socially yeah they just sort of carry on as normal which i think is fantastic and they're always finding things and driving our understanding mm-hmm. of the world and how mm-hmm. it works forwards, which is which is brilliant. And we hope our project will be a little tiny part of that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if we can spread the message that this needs to continue, because those treaties mm. at the moment only go on up until, I think, 2041. Yeah. So after that, then, yeah. then what? It yeah. Will be renegotiated or then people start fighting over... Who owns Antarctica? Well, let's not. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you very much, Matt. That's brilliant. So that's it for July 2020's uh, podcast. Um, Episode nine, all done and dusted. Uh, If you have enjoyed the podcast, please could you give us a review on iTunes, uh, where we're published. Um, and let us know what you think. Any feedback's welcome at all times. See how we can improve it um, and maybe get content that people are interested in. Um, So I hope you're enjoying them, and uh, don't forget that uh, the other eight episodes of the podcast, um, previous podcasts of this, are available uh, on our website. That's www.request2021.org.uk. Uh, Or as I said, you can subscribe on iTunes. Bye for now.